The Danger Junior Oral Room is brought to you by Mouthwash That Burns. You know all those mouthwashes that don't burn? Well, this is the one that does. You're welcome, America. Welcome to the Danger Junior Writer's Room. We're the show where members of Danger Junior and their friends get together, inspire one another with great conversation, and then come back after an hour of writing to read some sketches for all you lovely people. Let's go over my panel of writers with their favorite kind of chip. First we have Logan Baggerly. My favorite chip, as we call it in my house, is river chips. But if I had to put a name to it, it would be H-E-B crinkle cut e holes, bitch. Amen. Amen. Pretty good chips. It's a good chip. And then we have Blake Brown. My favorite chip is the... Hi, I'm Blake Brown. And my favorite chip is the Zaps Kettle Potato Chips Spicy Cajun Crawtaters flavored. Jesus Christ. Mm. Yeah, we came correct with the chip game, son. Next up, you know him, Jimmy D. Um, I make my own chips out of almond flour, and I call them Emma Watt chips, and Danny hates me for it. (laughs) Is this real? This is real. (laughs) <laughs> and they're made of they're ba- it's basically Fuck. just burnt cheese, <laughs> cheese <laughs> chips, With almond flour, and cheese it, chips, and it's super good. Megan Castleberry. Um, I like I don't I really don't eat a lot of chips, but I like Doritos when I go swimming. Doritos are the swimming chip. The, the swim chip. You know what I mean? Like wet? when I go to the pool or the beach, I'm bringing a bag of nachos. She like Doritos. a soggy chip. Not. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta grow to like a soggy chip. Yeah. So I think my answer is soggy chips. Just soggy any chip? chip that's soggy. All right. Hey, is that a Dorito? Do you mind dipping that in water for yeah. me? A little bit of water. You just feed it to me. A little bit <laughs> of red you water. You get all the seasoning off of it. Yeah. <laughs> I like dipping like it. Like Oreos um, to milk. Spritz it with water. Dorito, water's <laughs> favorite chip. <laughs> <laughs> and my name is Austin Zesson. My favorite chip is Pringles jalapeno. Specifically, it's in your car Spicy. cup holder. Yep. <laughs> In your cu- in your car, wait. Yeah, it's like they fit in your cup holder really well, so you can just like like the little guy. Or then you get all the you get yeah. all the shit on your hands, and then it's all over your car. Yeah, but then it's not my car, so sucks, Dad. Thank I didn't you. even think mm. about the fact that it fits. In <laughs> Take a that, cup holder. father. Yeah. All right. Well, this is the part of the show where we talk for a little bit, trying to get inspired before we go and write our sketches for the week. Megan, you do have a question this week. Okay, boys. Um, so this week I want to know what is the craziest dream you've ever had and now this can also be a nightmare um either one is fine i'm sure we'll get plenty of inspiration for our stories um but the craziest dream craziest dream i do know mine if y'all want me to go first mine I wrote uh down. yeah you go first okay so i don't actually dream very often um i know that some people are like you actually have a dream every night um but you just don't remember them i don't know if that's true because i only have like three dreams in my life that i can actually remember um, and one of them was when I was in high school, I had a reoccurring night terror. So mine, mine is a nightmare. Mm. Um, so everything is like in the dream, everything is like a sepia filter. Mm. Um, and I'm actually at the property of my, uh, friend from elementary school's house. I'll call her Anna. Um, and she had a big field. I think it used to be a farm, but it wasn't a farm when I knew her. It was just land. Um, and so I'm like walking, um, through a fence and there is like tall wheat or maybe just tall grass. Um, but I'm, I'm young in the dream. I'm like maybe 10. Um, and so it's about as tall as me. So then I'm walking through a path, 
um, that has kind of been carved out of the tall grass towards a tree that was in the center of the field. And my friend Anna's house had a tree with um, like a tire swing from it. Mm -hmm. And we used to swing on it all the time as kids when I would go over to her house. And so I'm walking through this field of tall grass and I see the tree and I'm approaching it. And when I get there, I see that there is a girl already swinging from the swing. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm coming up on her from behind and I recognize that it looks like me a little bit. Like is my color hair about my age looking from like the size of her stuff like that. Um, and she's swinging and all like the dream it oh it like makes my skin crawl thinking about it to this day but the whole dream is silent except for like the sound of the wind through the grass and the creaking of the swing from the and the tree branch as it's like giving as she's swinging on it a little bit so i walk around the tree to get to the front of so i can see the girl's face um and i see her and it is me and this is in the dream where I start to be like really scared um, because my friend Anna looks pretty similar to me. So before this point in the dream, I'm thinking like, oh, that's my friend Anna. But I get her into the front and it's for sure me. And sitting in my lap is a doll that also looks like me. And all three of us are wearing similar outfits um, and they're like swinging and they have the creepy like weird head tilt and like staring off into the distance look of like a horror movie type of thing and I'm looking at them and at this point I'm like petrified like I can't move and the swinging gets like more and more intense and so it's getting louder the wind is going um until the girl drops the doll and she like she like drops the doll and then she jumps out of the swing onto it so like crushing it into the ground and then she's like standing there and her hair is like stringy and she's like staring at me and she's kind of like swaying with the wind and I'm still petrified, like can't move um, until she like jumps towards me and her face does that thing like in A Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey where um, like they animated it to where like the, it like cuts from the corners of the mouth mm, to no the jaw you. and falls open. Mm -mm. No, thank you. And so then like in the dream, like she just, pounces towards me and it it almost as if like I'm the camera and like the camera goes in the mouth and then I wake up oh my god um and I had that dream for four years straight you guys didn't tell me this was going to be a spooky episode <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we should do like just very quick interpretation interpretations of like what we think your dream means like very yeah. quick I'm so excited okay mm, I think you talk to your mother too much I can see that. Yeah. Self-loathing. So. Mm. <laughs> I think you're literally scared of being digested. Um. <laughs> Jimmy, this was your <laughs> yeah, idea. Yeah, it was yeah, your idea. this is my idea. I wanted to hear y'all's answers. <laughs> <laughs> that's, okay. that's why I did it. Yeah. I think um, I think you have a shopping problem. <laughs> oh, okay. That's what it is. Shopping? Yeah. yeah. Not for yourself, though. Right. For my dolls. Y your shopping feelings. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that you're <laughs> <laughs> your shopping feelings that you can't return. Mm. Mm. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah. What if you have a receipt? Carl you, oh Young? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Carl Young, what do you have to say? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so when I was a kid, I used to, like, and I'm, when, I, when I was a kid, I mean, like, like six or seven years old, uh, I used to have this recurring nightmare 
And it's one like I don't have like recurring dreams really. Like most of my dreams are unique, and they're usually just like me goofing off, like just be having fun being Logan. And I used to have this dream when I was a kid all the time. So we used to have rabbits, and we had a little hutch that we had built for the rabbits out in the backyard, and we'd have like three or four rabbits at a time. And I used to have this dream. I know for a fact it was because one time, and this is really common, the mom had a bunch of babies, and then she ate them all. And I didn't know that that was, like, possible. Like, to, when when I found out that something could eat its babies, it kind of – that was a rough year for me. That was a really big year for me. And um, I had this recurring dream that me and my two sisters were out in the backyard, and we're just playing. And then my sisters start just, like, screaming, and all the dogs start, like, barking, and they're, like, going crazy, and, like, all the birds in the trees are, like, swirling in the sky. And I'm like, what's going on? What's there something terribly wrong? There's something terribly wrong. My sisters are, like, running, and, like, in, like they're, like, incoherent language, and I, I can't get a handle on what's going on at all. And I mean, I'm a six-year-old kid. And my older sister goes, like, Logan, you have to look. You have to look. And I go, and we had a little fence at our backyard, and then the rabbits were actually outside of the fence. So, like, I run up to the fence, and my dog is, like, on its side. We had a little um, uh, Brittany Spaniel. Um, and my dog is, like, on his side, and he's bleeding. Oh and God. I know, dude, right? And I know, uh, right? I and he's, like, dogs. bleeding. Like, and I was like, mm. I was like, who hurt Corky? Who hurt? Kill him. I'll kill him. Yeah, like a six-year-old kill. If I finally hurt my dog, I'll kill him. Right? And then Mallory was like, look. And I go over to the rabbit hutch, and we open it up, and the rabbits are, they have, like, long fangs. Like, have you ever read the book Bonicula? Do you remember that yeah, book yeah, as a yeah. kid? It was like a rabbit Dracula. They had, like, long vampire fangs with blood dripping off the end of them. I, I'm, I swear to you on my life, I used to have this dream, like, once a month. You never told kid. me this. Yeah. And then we, like, look away, and we look back, and the rabbits are gone. Okay. For some reason, I go to my dad and I'm like, Dad, Dad, you're never going to believe what the, the rabbits did to Corky. I'll kill him. I'm like so sad. And my dad, I'm like, how could this have happened, Dad? How could this have happened? And he, at the, the dream always ended with him going, you never know. The past could be unleashed. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't know what that means. I had that dream. I honestly had that dream probably six or seven times. Um, the past could be unleashed. So here's my yeah. interpretation. Okay. Rabbit fetish. <laughs> Big bunny fetish. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the unleashed line sounds like you maybe watched a trailer to a movie too mm -hmm. much, and that was the line to the movie somehow. Oh, uh, that's very possible. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like you watched um, Monty Python. Mm, uh, that's very possible. I think you were probably a really smart kid. <laughs> I don't know how that <laughs> correlates. Because that was the dumbest fucking dream <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or you were like supposed to make movies. It's a very cinematic dream to me. Yeah. Rock and roll, man, you just I want guess. that big bunny suck. Big bunny suck. suck. Big, big bunny, bunny suck. Big bunny suck. Yeah. You should yeah. remake the movie, or Mel Gibson's movie, Dead and Loving It. Where Mel all Brooks's the movie. where <laughs> all of the <laughs> all of the Two vampires are rabbits. I was thinking he should yeah. remake and it stars Mel, Mel Gibson's Gibson. movie. Yeah. Or movie <laughs> what oh, a woman wants. God but damn it! It's Did I say the wrong name? What a bunny wants. What a bunny yeah. wants. Yeah. And then I'm so fucking fuck. It's okay. Fuck. It's fuck. Okay. You can still read rabbits' minds, but they're still like. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, like, they don't speak English. Yeah, it's yeah. Not the same. Obviously, all they do is scream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll go next. This one I remember because I wrote it down. Okay. You keep a dream journal, oh, nerd. Wait, you got a diary. <laughs> Why are you cry? Uh, for nightmares specifically. For this specific nightmare, this keep is a, a journal. Spooky episode. No, nah, yeah, huge this, book. Yeah, this is um, it keeps reoccurring. Um, <gasps> How come we've all had reoccurring no, nightmares? No, but here's the thing. It's not like it, the same thing happens. It has some of the similar characters, and there's a sense of progression, which is what terrifies me. Oh, my God. So this is this is the first night. Okay. It's the, it doesn't get spooky till the second night, but I might not go into it. But my coworker, Blake, and I are in a room. It's a game room mm. with a large That's card you. table in the center. The oh. whole room is dark wood and candlelight, except right now there's daylight in the window. Pretty nice, right? He says. Yeah, it looks pretty sweet. That's not all. There's even this control panel that lets you set the room up however you want. He points to a briefcase on the table. It's not a control panel, but it's like a briefcase at this point. But he's like, that, that's what controls the room. That's what you say. It controls the room. And I go, cool. I assume it's like your new house, your new game room. Like, I, you just moved into a house. This is your game room. looks really cool. Right? All right. So then you go, I'll let you play with it. I'll be right back. And then you leave. Right? And so I open the briefcase, and I can't recall how the inside looked. I just know, though, that there are settings that I could change, and I could change the room, basically, with this, with this briefcase. Why I picked these certain settings, or what I even picked, is not really, it's not my forte. I don't even know really what the rules are until much later. But then you walk back in, and as you walk back in, like, the lights dim to a few candles, and there's, like, this eerie fluorescent glow that, that are just, that's just centered on the table. And Blake, you go, what do you think? And I go, pretty cool, yeah. It's a pretty cool room. I don't tell Blake what settings I put to the room, but he immediately understands that I did change the settings, and he sits down to fit to these settings. Nothing is said, but this is just how I understand it in the dream. Like, my brain is make, making connections that is not supposed to be happening. Uh, so you pull out your laptop, and you just start working on something. Um, but, but I can't tell, because the light on you just immediately fade away. You just go away. You just go on your laptop and you're out, right? Sick. But then I turn to a new light, and I look to my left, and there's a bartender. I do not recognize this bartender, and I know you're supposed to recognize people in your dreams, but this is a man I have never seen before and, in fact, has different facial features from other people I've seen before. He's already pouring me something, right? He hands me my scotch, and I look in his eyes. They're glossy and hollow and yellow and unsettling like a replicant's, but like more lifelike. Uh-oh, Blade Runner reference. Wait a second. This is just Blade Runner and Uh-oh. The Shining. Is this Star Trek The <laughs> Next Generation? <laughs> mm-hmm. As I touch the drink, I remember the first rule I had set in the briefcase. All the scotch in the world, just don't order the poisoned one. That's just a rule I set, apparently. I turn to Blake, and he now has a deck of cards, and he's shuffling. Then he tells me the second rule I had in the briefcase. Um... Because he knows it, but he just tells me it. He, you, you say, it's the luck of the draw, but when you get a bad card, and I mean a really bad card, sorry, bud, it is the luck of the draw. And then I wake, th- wake up like 30 minutes past my alarm, which is like really weird. And I don't remember this dream until it happens again, and I remember in that dream what happened in the first dream. So, Is the second dream like a new iteration of what you do to the room? Yes. So I'm in the same room. The bartender is there, and he's shuffling, and he's dealing out now. Blake, you're not there. 
Whoa. I try to look around for you, but like my head physically can't move. Do you lucid dream at all? Yes. In Dude, fact, you could do so much cool shit. No, but here's the thing. I know in my head it's a dream, but my body can't move. Mm. And so I'm like, wake up, wake up, wake and that up. That bartender up. is your sleep paralysis demon. Yeah, for real. Yeah. What's his name? Give him a name now. Just a bartender. Okay. I also have dreams so where I know I'm like in a dream, <laughs> and I know he's not even there, but he's like, "There's the bartender. This is the bartender he's dream." There. Yeah. I think you, you need to like go to therapy, the man. Yeah, you yeah. need to go to therapy. That's why. Well, that's what this dream. I mean, is to be the fair, his name is Barry. <laughs> I thought it was careful, but I thought it was Patch. <laughs> To be fair, Austin, I think everyone needs to go to therapy. Amen. Um, but I think that would be kind of interesting to talk to a therapist about. You know, an Argentina. Or like a, or like a, um, one of those people that do like crystals and worship the moon and shit. And mm-hmm. Know a lot you, about. I'll it. tell you what. I'll yeah. sum it up right now. Rabbit fetish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. I talk, that's it. You ever seen the movie Zootopia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine that, but all rabbits. Anyone else got any dreams? I got a dream. Okay, I well, got a dream. Um, I had a, and this is pretty short cause I really only remember one aspect of the dream, but, um, but I had it, I was also, uh, lucid dreaming for a peri- period of my life because I was on, um, specific medication. I was like, I have epilepsy. Cocaine. Uh, it's not, no, it's not cocaine. I had <laughs> epilepsy. So I was on like a bunch of different meds for a long time until they like settled on the one that worked. Um, one of them, big old blue pill. Um, one of the side effects was uh, lucid dreaming. Yes, big blue pill. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and um, there was a dream that I had for a long time that involved me flying into a building, like through a wall, and then slowly like pivoting, like from horizontal flying position to like standing position, and then I would like kind of like still still hover towards this um it was a purple dachshund and it's like marching uh it's its legs are moving but it's hovering and it's moving around in a circle like just slowly rotating Mm -hmm. and it's on this like um it's like a black plane like um like an animation grid where it's like a bunch of like green grid lines oh like like a wireframe yeah like like, a wireframe plane yeah it looks like a like a synth wave vapor wave Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I guess a wire plane is what you call it. But yeah. anyways, he's just, we're both hovering over this wire plane. Uh, it's all black and green. And then there's this, um, this animated purple dachshund that's just like marching to his own beat and just <laughs> spinning around. And I'm just watching him. And that's, that's how the long does this last a while? But <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much time passed. I mean, obviously a full night's sleep, but, that's all that I remember from that dream, but I had it all the time. Whoa. There was always like, and it wasn't scary. It was just like, <laughs> I'm just staring at a dachshund and it's like Purple the majority dachshund. of the, the dream. That's all. Yeah. That's all it is. It's wow. just that. Is there music? No. Like, is he silence. dance? Dance? Just silence. Just, wow. Were you at a point in your life where you feel like you're running in circles? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Were know. you at a point in your life where you really wanted to fucking kill a dog? I want to do something that while dog. playing some sort of weird yeah. synth music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I have a, I think it's funny that like we, we, we live like very like difficult lives. Like a lot of everyone's got their issues and then we just get to wake up like confused. Like what the hell? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like we're not yeah. even sleep as like restful. Like you're just, you wake yeah. up and you're like, Oh, I have 
all these things, and I guess I'll deal with this weird movie I just yeah. was forced to watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so I could honestly really only think of one b- oh because because of what I just said, I literally I deliberately try and forget the dream immediately because I don't I think it's ridiculous yeah. to like dwell on it because every time I do, I'm like, what could it mean? And I like really yeah. think I know what they mean. Or like I assume that I do and I take it too far. And honestly, it's probably just like your brain's recycling bin just being like, gotta well, dump this out. Yeah, yeah or like, just and, and I think yeah. we have the same dreams because your our brain is creating pathways and it's already created this path and so mm-hmm. it's like it's it's, it's oh we've already made it. Yeah. We've already made this. Let's go to purple yeah. docks and land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I had this dream that uh I, I that I thought was pretty interesting and just kind of I thought it would be a, even a cool movie. It was it was a uh, me as like a two-year-old and i'm not even sure when i had it i think i've had it enough times to just know that i just like remember it pretty vividly but i was a two-year-old in the dream uh in an apartment that i've never lived in uh looking at a tv and uh there was like helicopters and there was like some sort of chase going down uh they were like chasing this man like some sort of manhunt situation Mm -hmm. uh no one seems to be in the room like at all in, in this apartment and i'm just like it's like a sense of like, cause I don't know of like, it's just me in here. What's going on? I guess I'll just watch this TV. I'm definitely alone. Like, this is weird. And so they're following like the manhunt on the TV and I'm like, Oh, this is getting a little out of hand. And they're like slowly focusing like in on this man. And then, uh, it gets to a point where he, like I can see the man enter my apartment complex that I know is my apartment complex somehow that I've never lived there. Mm-hmm. And then it's like slowly making his way to my apartment like door like br- and somehow it's all on camera like really yeah. clear and i'm just like oh no he's he's getting closer to me <laughs> like this isn't good <laughs> like and you're two yeah i'm two <laughs> years old in the dream and i'm like this isn't good and then he breaks the door with he has an axe and he breaks Jesus. the door down and then he just he he falls to his knees and starts weeping <laughs> all right the strangest dream I've ever had in my life. Do you comfort him? Um, no, I think I just wake up at that point. Yeah. And I don't remember being like scared. I just remember being like alert and aware. And then he just like comes in and then he's just like, and there's no, that, that was it. That's like the end of the dream. And to your point, then you have to wake up from that. Yeah. And then like, I'll just D- go make Danny's, some toast. Yeah. Danny's like, Hey, remember you have to get an oil change today yeah. and you have a dentist appointment. Like, yeah. And you're like, he cried in front of me. What does it mean? <laughs> yeah, Danny, he cried in front of me. Like, yeah. why didn't he kill me? Yeah. What, what was the crime? I think, where did he get the ax? <laughs> Walmart. <laughs> I think dreams can be kind of fun though. Like, when I was in first grade, I had a dream that instead of taking the school bus to school, we rode a roller coaster. It's like a roller coaster came by your house and picked you up and you got to ride a roller coaster to school. You ever seen the movie? It's a more efficient way of traveling. Yeah. You ever seen the movie B movie? Yes. They do that in the B movie. Okay. Well, uh, we got some real interesting stuff to draw upon this week. Yeah. Sure it is. Real weird inspirations. Um, (laughs) All right. When we come back from the break, we'll have some sketches for you guys. Uh, Just sit tight and enjoy the ads. Quick reminder before we get back to the show that our sponsor, Mouthwash That Burns, is now offering our listeners complimentary oral burn aid in the case that you misread the directions and leave it in your mouth for 97 seconds instead of the instructed 96. All right, and back to the show.
Hey, welcome back to the Danger Junior Writers Room. We went away for an hour. We each wrote a sketch. I think we're all very happy with what we did today. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yes. Let's, yes. Let's get right into it. We're gonna start with Jimmy. Jimmy, take it away. All right. So uh, this sketch is about a man named Rick. Uh, Logan, I'm gonna need you to be playing Rick. He's gonna be a uh, conspiracy nut job. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Megan, you're gonna be playing the wife, Victoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blake, you're going to be playing uh, a man named Samuel who reveals himself towards the end of the story or is revealed. Um, All right. And Austin, you're going to be playing a son named Alex J. And I will be playing the other son named Shapiro. Basically a family living with a over-the-top conspiracy theorist. Nut job. All right. Here we go. Rick is seen only by the blasting scroll of illuminating newsreels from his computer as he ferociously scours over the new conspiracy videos. There is a loud crash. Damn it, Rick! Can you please get all of these boxes out of your little man cave? This is it, Vic! They found it! The dive, it's real. Found what? Just get off your computer! Are you even going to speak to your children today? They're barely even able to speak yet. Alex J. is ten years old. Shapiro is seven. Their mind's eye is so far from being open. My son said his teacher said that Bigfoot couldn't possibly be real. How am I supposed to talk to that, Vic? Also, Shapiro believes in Santa Claus, but refuses to believe that Monsanto is poisoning my cornflakes. I swear to God, I'm throwing away these damn alien posters. What are all these news articles with strings attached to them? Are you solving a goddamn murder? Listen to me, Vic. The dive. The government's been hiding it from us for far too long. They say there are tribes people in the rainforest that make many doll versions of you that look like you before you've ever even seen them. Oh, I'm seriously afraid to ask. Um, what, uh, what's the new conspiracy obsession now? The dive. It's where the billionaire elites get their delicious nutrients. A restaurant deep in the middle of a secluded rainforest where they make food that gives you new vitality. It's how they keep their youth. Betty White, far older than the government would ever have you believe. Betty White's age affects nothing in my day-to-day life. So, so it's just a restaurant. Also, if you eat the food, you gain the ability of flight. All right, that's, um... Tears begin to swell. Rick, I... I, I can't do this. The government can do it, Vic. They've been doing it for years. Just follow the string. When I married you, Rick, you didn't even own a laptop. <laughs> you didn't even read the newspaper, and now you've just gone overboard. <laughs> the new conspiracies, the genetic rabbit mutations. Those Dracula rabbits will protect us when the government takes our guns. I've had it. Either you throw away that damn computer right now and get rid of this crap or I'm leaving you tonight. She slams the door. Rick contemplates his options. He's been able to get away with a quick article here and there and satisfy his conspiracy fix but as soon as a photograph came out of the Rainforest Tribes people holding a hand-carved doll that looked just like Bill Clinton he knew he was on the right path. (laughs) 
a path that would enlighten the world. His very understanding of this tangled conspiracy web could help expose the elite. He believed he was the keeper of truth. He wasn't going to let the elite billionaires cheat death any longer, no matter the cost. I have to finally do something about this. I have to stop the elite. I'm packing the bags, Rick! be doing my family a disservice if I don't stop uh, Oprah from living five to seven years longer from ancient nutrient juice. Your children don't even know who you are. If I can just prove that the tribe's people exist, my family will love me and my wife will finally see me as a man. It doesn't matter if the earth is flat. You have a family. Why don't you drive on this round earth to your mother's? Preposterous. Victoria runs into the room. I'm driving them to Samuel's house, you idiot. He has no beliefs. He He's normal for a change. He likes to, to run and watch HBO specials. He doesn't even watch the news. Samuel is a sheep, just like you, Vic. Victoria stampedes out of the room. Alex, Jay, and Shapiro enter the scene. Dad, wh- what's happening? Your mother is a sheep is what's happening, little Alex, Jay. Is this because I didn't feed the Dracula rabbits? A little bit, yes. I told you they liked children blood, and you freaked out a little bit too much at that. (laughs) Uh, I'll feed the Dracula rabbits whenever you want, Dad. I don't want to go to Samuel's. He never stops asking me if I want ranch with everything I eat. (laughs) (laughs) Don't. Ever eat that ranch, Alex J. I am more of an alpha than him. As soon as I prove the elite are a few years older than the world believes them to be, I'll return and win you back. The government is ruining my family! Shapiro enters the room holding his favorite alien-themed blanket standing next to his inconsolable older brother. The aliens told me to tell you, in an ominous voice, who knows, the past could be unleashed. Shapiro, I will miss you most of all. I'll never understand your ramblings, but at least you believed in your old dad. Rick smiles and brings Shapiro in for a close hug, ignoring the wanting eyes of Alex J. They also told me to tell you to trust the bartender. Of course they did. Rick smiles again, kisses Shapiro on the forehead, and gives both of his sons a shooing motion. Hours go by. Rick hears a cacophony of packing noises and loud crashes as he pours over the latest trending conspiracies. Victoria is heard in the background. This is really it. We're leaving. Samuel's outside. An instinct tells Rick to follow his family. They're outside, slowly walking towards Samuel's car. Samuel exits the vehicle to greet Rick. Well, howdy there, Rick. Lana's looking great. Hey, did you see that new mayonnaise (laughs) Hellman's put out? Jalapeno flavored. Might be a little too spicy for my taste, but who knows? We may pick it up on the way back to the old casa. Might be a fun adventure, eh, kiddos? (laughs) (laughs) Alex J. shudders, and Shapiro raises his hand towards him as if casting a spell. Whatever you say, Samuel. I need you to come by and feed my rabbits and keep your damn rancher mayonnaise or whatever away from them. Well, heck, of course, neighbor. Whatever you say. Victoria bustles out of the house with a mountain of bags attached to each hip. This is happening, Rick. Have fun believing in nothing. Have fun living in a world where the government isn't after you. 
Anyway, Sam, sorry about the wife, eh? She is clearly very emotional and crazy. Samuel laughs, the dorkiest laugh. He's just happy to be a part of the male camaraderie. <laughs> Women, huh? Can't live with them, eh? Samuel, <laughs> Samuel laughs again. <laughs> happy to be included. Samuel's minivan is packed. They are seen driving away in slow motion. Victoria yelling on the phone, probably with her mother. Alex J. staring desperately towards his father. Shapiro, Shapiro looks as if he's casting another spell on a wandering dog nearby. Samuel and Rick meet eyes. Samuel's eyes blink sideways. Rick gasps as the car disappears into thin air. <laughs> Jimmy! This is perfect. Jimmy! You guys did so well. <laughs> oh my like God. exactly yeah, like how I pictured fun. it. That was yeah. pretty fun. That was really fun. Yeah. All right, wow. uh, let's go around, say something we liked, something that could be improved on. Okay. Oh, gosh. Um, I think my favorite part is having Samuel uh, as, like, I mean, obviously, like, the jokes that you put in there, making fun of people that are like him, but that, like, in, in context of, like, writing, he's technically the straight man, or I guess Victoria is as well, but he's just so perfect as the foil to Rick. Mm -hmm. So, mm. and like to have those last yeah. couple moments um, with Rick being essentially like, fuck you, you're wrong. And then being like, <laughs> ain't that just the way like that is. Yeah. So, yeah. That really, really, that was so good. Um, as yeah. far as like, I don't know. I don't, I really don't know what I didn't like about it. I was pretty like, this is, I was pretty hooked from the beginning, man. Um, I don't know. Come back to me on that one. Okay. Uh, I really loved how, uh, the kids are in on it. Like Rick is slowly teaching these kids mm -hmm. and you can see how these like people are essentially made, uh, in, in the future. <laughs> um, the, uh, honestly, I don't have any problem with the writing. Just like the one time where you said in your narrator voice in an ominous voice and instead mm. of just going into an anonymous yeah, voice. Yeah, should have just done that. Should have just done But that's that like, that's, that's like a cold read. So this is a perfect sketch. I love it how it ended. Yeah. yeah. Logan? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I liked it. I thought it was really funny. I thought like the, the jokes, like the way that you reveal the character of Samuel is like e easily the funniest thing about the sketch, right? Where he's like, I don't know, just the way that they talk about him and, and he, he has to put ranch normal. on everything. Yeah. Obviously, it's like hilarious. Um, I mean, if I was going to change anything about it, I mean, I think like we're all in pre pretty unison agreement that like it's a very good piece of literature. <laughs> um, if I was going to change anything about it, I would probably just um, mess around with the character of Victoria, mess around with the way that she responds to him and maybe like um, how the two of them talk. Um, and maybe even the conversation that the three of them had, but like sometimes it, you don't want to be too long in the tooth. Sometimes you just want to leave it at, at, you know, a short little conversation. I mean, obviously you get the point across. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to change anything, I, I would probably just mess around with the dialogue that, um, Victoria has and that, um, what's the one son that talks the most, the older son, Alex, Alex J. J, Alex J. I, not that's all like maybe, maybe I could, because there's obviously the, um, Alex J is very wanting of his mm. father, right? And doesn't get anything out of him. You could you could just elaborate on that more, but I don't know. If I can it's add mine to that, because I think, Logan, you brought up something cool about Victoria, mm -hmm. um, is like, I think maybe the main point of her character, like her motivation for being frustrated, um, would be less of, I'm tired of you doing this, and more, what the fuck do you think is the end result? Mm -hmm. If you prove this right, 
What, are you going to yeah. go public with it? She even yeah. kind of does say, like, um, proving that Oprah is seven years older than we thought she was. Right. It's really funny, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, you could Yeah, it's like, what's the point? Um, and so I think that could be part of her frustration is like, I don't even care that you have this as a hobby, but what are you, what? It just doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. affect my daily life at all. Quote. Yeah. yeah. Let's move on. Miss okay. Megan. Yes. Okay. Um, my sketch this week is called You Have to Look. Um, Austin will be playing the game show host, whose name is Ernest. Uh, contestant one will be played by Blake. Uh, his name is Howie, and he's Howie. a little bit nerdy. Contestant two will be played by Jimmy. His name is Gene, and he's a little bit older. And contestant three will be played by uh, Logan. His name is Jared, and he's kind of a jockey type. <laughs> Hello, I'm Ernest Flangemeyer, and welcome to You Have to Look. The only show where your wet dreams become wet realities. <laughs> For those of you new to our show, we bring on three contestants and show them videos we handcrafted while they are essentially stroked by models hand-selected to their taste. You may think this is a competition to see who can outstand and outlast, but here at You Have to Look, the person taking home the prize of $100 million will be the first one to soil the sheets. <laughs> Let's get started with contestant number one. Contestant number one, give us an introduction. <laughs> Hi. Uh, well, my name is Howie. I'm from uh, upstate Vermont. Go Hornets. And I've got my degree in psychology and uh, wrote my master's thesis on the comparison of Sigmund Freud and famous rapper Kanye West. Wowie, Howie. I would have never guessed they had anything in common, but mazel tov on the MD. Moving right along to contestant number two. Contestant number two, tell us about yourself. Hey, uh, I'm Gene. I'm the founder and current chair of the Nampa, Idaho chapter of the RFSU. Uh, I'm not sure I've heard of uh, Arfia Sue. Care to elaborate? Oh, yes, sorry. It's the Rabbit Fetishism is a sexual orientation organization. Uh, oh, yeah, you yeah, don't say. Well, um, I'd say I need to ask more specific icebreaker type questions then. Okay, let's move on to contestant number three. Contestant number three, tell me why you think you could take home the big prize today. Sod it. Me number is Jared and TBH. I've given the hot beef injection to a baker's dozen of bajingos. And I always leak the baby mayonnaise before her little minky has a chance to quash. So I think I've got this competition, the beaver, if you know what I mean. Uh, oh, no. Oh, Lord. Uh, okay. Let's get started. I guess we can start with contestant number one. Howie, please take your position. Howie walks uh, over to across the studio where there is a sheet hanging from waist height. He drops his pants and two assistants come out from backstage to oohs and ahs from the live studio audience. Howie, when you are ready, please pick a number from the board. Okay, Ernest, I'll take, um, where, where did he get that axe for $300? One assistant spits on his hand and grabs Howie's dick. The other stands behind Howie and holds open both his eyeballs so that he cannot blink. Assistant one begins jerking off Howie um, as a video of just the most goddamn violent axe slashing video you could possibly imagine plays. And yes, you do see it all uncensored, cutting between the video and shots of Howie being forced to watch it while trying to come. He is obviously terrified and may let out a couple of, oh God knows, 
we cut to the game show host. Now, Howie only has to watch for 60 seconds. If he orgasms in that time, he is safe until the next round, and he just has to hope that he beats the time of his competitors. If not, he will face a punishment. We cut back to shots of the video and Howie, who is very uncomfortable. The timer is almost up as we hear the live studio audience count down from five. They make it to the end, and there is no sploosh on the sheet in front of Howie. Aw, that is too bad, Howie. Please go over to Janet for your punishment. Howie pulls up his pants and begrudgingly moves over to Janet. Next to Janet, there is a wheel that is full of internet hack type of things to do or eat that cause orgasms to be prevented. Howie spins the wheel and lands on eat 20 oysters. Uh-oh, Howie, this means you have 30 seconds to eat all 20 oysters. Your time starts now. Music plays. Howie violently slurps the oysters as Janet openly mocks his manhood the entire time. When the 30 seconds has ended, he has successfully eaten all 20 oysters. <laughs> Good job, Howie. Let's move on. Contestant number two, will you take your place, please? Contestant two walks over to the sheeted area and drops his pants. Okay, Gene, tell me, what'll it be? I think I'll take all they do is scream for $100. Roll the clip. We do the same thing of cutting between the video and shots of Gene being jerked by assistants. He's taking it like a champ, and it's really looking like he may take her home until the video hits its peak, and Gene jerks his head so fast that the assistant holding his head cannot hold on, and Gene manages to look away. There is a record-scratching sound. Uh-oh, Gene, you know the rules. Said along with the studio audience. You can't look away! Music plays as the audience cheers, and Gene goes to Janet to complete his punishment. When I have more than one hour to write this sketch, there would be a punishment here, but I have ten minutes left, so we're going to move on to... Contestant number three! Music plays as Jared assumes the position. All right, Jared, what'll it be? Ernest, I'd like mother-eating babies for 500 And ooh is heard from the audience. You heard the man. Roll the clip. The video plays for like maybe three <laughs> seconds. And <laughs> Jared Cinnabons all over the sheet in front of him <laughs> so much that the weight of the sheet becomes so oh, great oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that it falls from the pole that there's was holding more, it up. There's more. Oh. And we reveal Jared in all of his glory. His dick shines so bright, the camera cannot focus on it, and everyone in the room becomes permanently blind. Screams are heard. We cut to black, and then the camera comes up and rolls over the shoulder of an elaborate leather armchair until we see Jared seated, reading from a large book in a velvet robe. Oh, I didn't see you there. I'm sure you're wondering about my penis. Yes, well, you see, that was the trick all along. You see, those 13 girls I gift never did know what they looked like. My flesh rocket blinded me and everyone in the room of my birth the moment I came out of my mother's penis flytrap. Ha! I've never known what anyone looked like. Never cared much either. He takes a pull of his pipe. And I bet you thought those assistants on the game show were women. <laughs> uh, they were dudes. It was. <laughs> they, were, it? they were. They turtle. were turtles. But, but I don't. Uh, but I don't. <laughs> no. Oh my god. Yeah. Well my done. That that's a concept. Very well done. <laughs> yeah, I. 
I, I loved the... Can I, I'm going to start. I'm yeah, gonna, yeah, yeah, yeah. Start. I'll say the first one. I loved the idea of... Because that's a real... There's a Japanese game yes, show. Yes, there is. And then I I actually Wait, did well, not expect... Pause. For those of you that don't know, there's a Japanese game show where the contestants have to sing um, karaoke to famous songs while a very sexy woman is jerking them off. Um, and they have to hold off their cum and sing the karaoke song as long as they can. Easy, dude. So I want to play <laughs> that yeah. game. Easy. I loved it, and then when it ended up being gore, <laughs> I was like, whoa. Go, 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 yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I very much enjoyed that. Um, I don't know. It was so funny. It, yeah, was, it was so very funny. funny. I got to say, I was, I was delighted that it was gore because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I was because, well, I think sometimes like, to be honest, sex to me always isn't very funny. Yeah, like, it's very hard to be funny. Well, okay, so and it's like this turned in. Like at first, I was like, "Hmm, how's this gonna?" Yeah. But like, it it turned into just the the perfect amount of absurd. Yeah. That was like very hilarious, and like it's one of those things like you just didn't expect. Yeah. Like for them to just like I don't know. I think it's like I want to give this sketch the Danger Junior Award, um, <laughs> because it. At the beginning, you're like, this is going to be hacky. And then you're like, oh, no, it's just <laughs> super <laughs> fucked up. Like, it's not hacky at all. Like, yeah, yeah I, that's and that's like I feel like when. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't know. You could have said fuck more. I know you could have said more. You could have used more dick jokes. Um, <laughs> if I can give myself a really quick critique, yeah. because I noticed it when we were reading through it and I was like, God damn it. Yeah. Um, is that the name of the sketch and the name of the show is You Have to Look. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, he says, welcome back to You Have to Look. And then at the point where um, Jean looks away, it, you're supposed everyone was supposed to chant, You have to look. Mm-hmm. But I accidentally wrote, you, have, you can't look away. It's supposed to be the oh, name of the right. show. It almost yeah. means the same thing. I it think. does mean the same thing, yeah. but oh, that little bit of consistency. Yeah, also, uh, you did so well, yeah, Austin. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You did really, really well. Mm, Someone's you. about to get pigeonholed. Yeah. <laughs> game show host. Yeah. Every week from now on, yeah. there will be a game and show. And so, Austin, for my sketch this week, I'm going to have you play the character of radio announcer. Is that Radio <laughs> <laughs> uh, Megan, uh, one thing, um, I might have just been because I was cold reading it, but I think the shtick of the show wasn't as clear in the beginning. Okay. Um, it, yeah, that was yeah. My, that's my only constraint. Yeah, because I, I wanted it, it to be language. like, like I wanted it to seem almost like um, Ernest came up with the concept of the show, and he's like, no one will be able to come. It'll be great. Like, he's like, I'm going to really, like, he's a little bit yeah. mean. And then he finds this one guy who's like, doesn't fucking matter. I'm going to come anyway. Yeah. And he's like. Cinnabons all over the sheet. <laughs> yeah. And I like that all three of the contestants have something in their description about Kind of being a perv, yeah. yeah. Yeah, being a perv a little bit. Um, and so I want him to be like, that's why it says sweating on one of your lines. It's like, oh, no. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I feel like I, you're right. I definitely could yeah. explain more. I really beginning. liked that all of them were had no qualm at all with picking a category. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm sure of it. That's the one I want. Yeah. If this was a sketch, there should have been like way like very chill categories to pick from. Yeah. And they're like, well, 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 also. Mothers eating babies for 500. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. very good. Yeah. 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 I think that was my favorite sketch of yours so far. Thank you. All right. 
Ready to move on? Yes. yes. Cool. Let's go to mine. All right. This one is called Of Mice of Men, Kinda Sorta. Um, I'll be reading stage directions and playing assistant. Megan, you are playing famous Hollywood producer Scott Rudin. Got it. Blake, you'll be playing Jerry. You are a screenwriter meeting with Scott Rudin. And then in the sketch, we're going to cut what's happening in the screenplay. So, Logan, you're going to be playing George Milton, okay. um, the character from Of Mice and Men. And Jimmy, you're going to be playing Lenny from Of Mice and Men. Interior production office day. Sitting at his desk is famed film producer Scott Rudin. 50, very important, makes more money in a year than you'll ever make in a lifetime. He's looking over his notes when he gets a call from his assistant. Scott, your 2 o'clock is here. Who? The writer with the Of Mice and Men script. Ah, shoot. Yeah, uh, yeah, cinnamon. In comes Jerry, 24, cheap flannel and Star Wars shirt. Hey, Scott. Jerry, good to see you. Do you need something to drink? No need. Your uh, assistant got me a Fiji water. Ah, always on the ball, that one. Uh, grab a seat. I-, I just read your script over the weekend. Oh, you like the changes. Well, uh, I was certainly uh, floored by your additions. Did you get the chance to read... Of Mice and Men? Oh, yeah. Big fan. Best part of freshman English. Yeah, but have you read it um, recently? Ah, I see. Uh, you don't want me to actually write something new. You just want me to copy and paste Steinbeck. <laughs> Producers. No, no, that's um, that's not what I said. It's just, uh, well, can, can you take a look at scene 37? Okay. Interior, Ranchland Day. We're now in Jerry's script. Standing in a field next to a brook is George and Lenny. Lenny bends over and starts to drink some water. He's consuming at a large rate. Lenny, Lenny, for God's sake, don't drink so much. It's good. You take some, George. You take a big drink. I don't think it's good water. It's kind of scummy. I I see no problem with this. No, not that part. This part. Hey, George, I think you're right. This water don't look right. Oh, crap. Lenny, that ain't water. That's blood. Da bunnies. (laughs) Goddamn right. Vampire bunnies. Lock and load, brother. <laughs> the sky instantly goes to black. George and Lenny go back to back, each holding their own stake crossbow machine guns. Emerging from the tall grass is a large army of bunny rabbits with large fangs dripping with blood. George and Lenny unload. Die, bunny. Yeah, Lenny. Don't let up. Ah! Interior office continuous. We're back to the meeting. Now, where, where in this novella are there vampire bunnies? I took some creative liberties. <sighs> After the first five minutes, you derail the whole script into some hellscape bunny-blasting adventure. A bunny-blasting adventure for the whole family, mind you. Jesus, um, this is what I get for going non-union. Okay, um, we're cutting that scene. Fine. Just know you're killing art. Well, you're not going to like what else I have to say. Uh, scene 73. Exterior, weird purgatory hellscape. George and Lenny phase through a portal. They're wearing battle-worn gear, and Lenny's <laughs> smeared head to toe in bunny blood. The two look over the new world they've transported themselves into. It's land made purely of graph paper, sound waves, and various shades of purple. George, this isn't home. No, Lenny. Looks like we followed the bunnies all the way into the synth dimension. George. If we don't stop the bunnies now, there won't be a home to go back to. Why, George? Why bunnies hate? (laughs) I got you to look after me, and you got me to look after you, and that's why. Purple doggy, George. Huh? There's a purple doggy, George. It's chasing its tail. That's a navigator, Lenny. It'll lead us straight to Count Bunicula. Lock and load, brother. They cock their crossbow machine guns. Interior office, continuous. 
couple of things. I know there's not enough nuance. What? Uh, no, um, first of all, this is like the 57th time in the script that George says, lock and load, brother. And frankly, I didn't like it the first time you wrote it. Uh, that line George says, I, I got you to look after me. Uh, Lenny is supposed to say that. And, and how the hell am I supposed to portray the synth dimension at an independent film budget? Mm, I don't know. I figured you could be a director or something. That's uh, their job, ain't it? Okay, uh, Bobby? Yeah? Can you find me 10 writers that are more competent than Jerry so I can fire him? More competent than Jerry? Yeah, no problem. Should take me five minutes. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, Scott. You didn't even read the ending. It ties everything together. <laughs> Okay, uh, well, I gotta kill five minutes before I kick you out of my office, so I'll indulge you. Let's see, scene... Mm, scene 473. Really, that many? This draft is 600 pages. Hmm. The book is 107. But a rich 107. <laughs> sure, okay, scene 473. Interior, pasture day. Lenny is sitting on a log, weeping. George is standing behind him, examining the wound on his neck. The bite marks are dark and pulsing with infection. It hurts, George. You're okay, bud. You're okay. George closes Lenny's shirt back up. He hands Lenny a canteen of water. Drink up, Lenny. As much as you want. Lenny chugs, emptying the whole canteen as if it's the miracle cure. Just think about the bunnies, Lenny. We got the bunnies, George. Sure did, bud. George aims his crossbow right at Lenny's head. George's hand trembles. Hey, George. Yeah, Lenny? I love you. Lenny turns to George, revealing two protruding fangs from his face. I love you, too. Bang! Cut to black. Interior office continuous. Credits roll, but at the end, we do that Marvel thing where we say, George and Lenny will return in Avengers 2 or whatever. <laughs> so, this is an entire cinematic universe yeah everyone has a cinematic universe these days why shouldn't steinbeck <laughs> because he has like three books tolkien only has five it's not that hard <laughs> well shit why not hey bobby yes mr rudin get me two cigars and a fancy escort for jerry and i to run a train on yes sir oh happy day happy day indeed jerry yeah i think this is gonna be the start of a beautiful friendship. The camera widens out and turns out they were on a set of an office placed directly on an airport tarmac. They hop off the set and walk into the night together as Ingrid Bergman's plane takes <laughs> off into the foggy sky out of Casablanca. <laughs> Finn. Very good. Very good. Um, I have one thing. Okay. I have one thing. Okay. It was, it was a wonderful sketch. Okay. I truly enjoyed it. I, I thought it was very it. funny. Mm -hmm. I thought it held itself together. I feel like you missed one opportunity, and you might have thought about it and cut it out. Mm -hmm. And that is, and I'll direct you to page, page number seven. Okay. Interior pasture day. Lenny says, "Hey, George." George says, "Yeah, Lenny." Lenny says, "I love you." Lenny turns to George, revealing two protruding fangs from his face, and George says, "I love you too." I kind of wish that George whispered to himself. Lock and load, brother. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, then Jerry yeah, interrupts with the nice. bang. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
Um, I feel like yeah, that would be yeah, like, yeah, yeah. cause that's the third time too yeah. that we yeah. hear it. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you had like maybe thought of it and then we're like, I don't know. It kind of ruins the momentum or something. I, I know, wanted but, it to be like sincere, yeah, but then yeah. I should have been like, no, that's yeah. still sincere, but yeah, also yeah. funny for yeah, the audience. Like whispers yeah. Fucking loud, brother. yeah. I mean, I know I'm supposed to find a uh, critique, but. I think it's really good. So yeah, don't worry. They're they're gonna have plenty to rip apart in our two sketches. I'm yes. Like, yeah, Full the disclosure: was, I've never yeah. read of Mice and Men, and I saw the movie <laughs> once. I've yeah. I've read I read the, the book half asleep in seventh grade. The, it's I not Terry Eunice and John Malkovich version of, of yes. Mice and Men. Yeah, it's the best. I barely remember it. The book is not too dissimilar from what you wrote here. Yeah. I think my only critique of the scene is that I've never read anything by Steinbeck. He sucks. Okay. That's not really a critique. <laughs> That's the official Danger Junior stance. That's my critique. Steinbeck sucks. Steinbeck sucks. <laughs> Grapes of Wrath. That's a new t-shirt. Buy the new shirt. Buy I was literally shirt. Yeah. buy the new shirt. John yeah. Steinbeck the, sucks. The link to <laughs> where we sell all of our merchandise is yeah. in the description of all yeah. of our social media. Lockandloadbrothers.com. You'll find it there. <laughs> <laughs> you it, Lock and Load Brothers is the best segue into my sketch. Oh, it's perfect. It's the nice. perfect segue All right, let's go sketch. to Logan's. Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to have Jimmy play the character of Samuel. Samuel, you are wise. You are young. You are a pious young man. Tartar, you are in some ways Samuel's inferior, um, but in other ways you're your own man and you're learning how to control the world around you. The two of you, I'm going to have you, Austin, play the character of Officer Drury. Mm -hmm. You're trying to do your job. And job. Megan, I'm going to have you play Officer Peters. You're trying to do your job. I'm going to read the part of Caleb. Here we go. Okay. A young man drives his car down a country road in early autumn. The road is lightly littered with yellow and green leaves that scatter as his car passes and settle back across the road. He's driving very fast, as though he might be scared of someone in pursuit. After some time, he comes to a turn off the road that leads to what looks like an expansive field of very tall wheat, easily above the height of a man's head. He slows and turns onto this new path. His car comes to a stop just at the edge of the wheat field. He steps out, closes the car door behind him, and nervously eyes his surroundings, checking over his shoulder. Then, the young man pours a jug of gasoline all over his car, lights a match, and sets it ablaze. It's getting dark now. He begins to walk into a path carved in the field of wheat when a voice stops him. Who is it that sets foot on the field of Kettle Bin without admittance at such an hour? Only his humble servant. Samuel? In the flesh. Samuel, you've returned. He rushes to his friend and they hug. We thought you were either dead or enslaved. No, but nearly so. Tartar, I've traveled many miles and I'm very hungry. Let's get away from these flames and speak more. Shouldn't we stand watch to make sure the blaze can't get out of hand? Brother, you know as well as I do that no tongue of flame could ever harm the wheat of Kettle Bend. And damn the rest of the world. I'd see it burn and be glad after all I've been through. Now, let's be gone. Aye, you speak true. Let's away. The two comrades head into the field of wheat and the tallness of the crop conceals them from view. We make our way and in time come to a building at the heart of the farm. It's very modest and weathered, but as the two men enter, we learn that the cover of a book is oft an abstraction. The doorway leads directly to a set of stairs that go steeply down. We descend and an incredible network of tunnels and rooms are revealed to us. The men continue and we're treated to the greatest spectacle of all, a seemingly impossibly large gathering hall at the center of this underground labyrinth. 
and at the far end sits an empty throne. Still no news of his whereabouts. In truth, brother, I had hoped you have news of the master's location. Damn. I'm afraid I bring nothing with me but the tale of one man's flight and survival. My own. Tartar comes close to Samuel. And that is good news. Sit down. Tell me how you came to return to us. Very well. As you know, I had been sent on a mission into the heart of darkness to learn all I could of our enemy, and possibly retrieve the greatest of treasures, a page from the Book of the Hare. And while I was able to get a glimpse of its holy pages, I was stopped in my attempt to abscond with the text, apprehended by the most vile defenders of the realm of evil men. We spit at the mention of their deeds. All the people in the hall turn and spit on the ground, then continue their business. So they had you captured? Yes. And in the eleventh hour, but my strength and my wit, I was able to... As they're talking, an alarm sounds. Everyone scrambles to their own station. There is a general commotion. Your tale may not be the only thing you bring. Tartar looks at another young man who is running through the room. Caleb, what sounds the alarm? Intruders, Tartar. And they come with guns. Hurry to the surface. A swell of able-bodied young men all move, swiftly and in incredible orderly fashion, to their places by the windows of the house above. This house has been reinforced on the inside to withstand what should be a great deal of gunfire and damage. Samuel looks out into the night. The fire blazes, and we see lights approaching through the field. That's far enough, fellows. Who is it that sets foot on the field of Kettlebin without admittance at such an hour? The cops. We do not admit you, officers. Go back to the dwelling of your people. Do your master's bidding there. Yeah, uh, we can't do that. Um, at least one of you's got to come with us. We have a warrant. You feeble-minded dope. We do not admit you. Now on what charges does your master publish this warrant? Uh, cause you're selling drugs to the teenagers in town. You keep stealing cartoon porn comics from the Barnes and Noble. We set the laws of our own people and conduct our business in a manner according to those laws. Now, for the final time, we tell you leave, sirs, or there will be fighting. Hey, look, if, if one of you doesn't come down here and turn yourselves in, we're gonna nuke this whole farm. President Richard Nixon Jr. wrote this warrant himself and advised us to... Reading from his clipboard. Bomb with extreme prejudice. You got that? By the laws of Kettlebin himself, we command you leave this land. Kettlebin hasn't been here for a year now. He moved downtown and left your rabbit fetish cult behind. He owns a laundromat and rides a bicycle. Okay, we're going to nuke this place to shit now. Bye-bye. The two officers leave, and a bomb drops that leaves the field and the farm laid low for all time. Pages of a book gently drift to the ground as the frame fades to black. Printed on these pages are drawings depicting a female rabbit officer of the law performing sexual acts on a fox in a Hawaiian shirt. Roll credits. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You like, had to wait to the very yeah. end. <laughs> the very yeah. end. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I really yeah, like. Yeah, Megan, you brought it home with the cops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I really yeah. like the line. Who is it that sets foot on the field of Kettleben without minutes at such hour? Mm -hmm. Like the fact that that is a rehearsed line mm -hmm. that Tartar says. Mm -hmm. Ooh, mm -hmm. ooh, that really said it for me. Mm -hmm. Like when he says that a second time, I was like, oh, Logan's a writer. <laughs> 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 I really like that rabbit fetishism. 
Yeah, big that's player. My, that's my bad, I guess. Yeah, big yeah. player this week. <laughs> I had to finish. We said it three times yeah. in there earlier. All right, that's fine. Let's uh, go on to Blake. Okay. Blake, good fuck Brown. So there's a lot going on here. We got a few a uh, few different few different roles. We've got um, the entire band sticks. Uh, <laughs> their of spokesperson course. is Dennis DeYoung, uh, who's the accordion player. That's going to be Logan. Just think uh, classic rock musician. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to be Virgil the Guide. Jimmy, you're Anthony. You're extremely gruff. Think Tom Hardy. Says right there. Pretty straightforward. There's an employee at a store. Megan, you're going to be conjoined triplets working at Serb R Us. Megan, you're all three heads because it's just all you. And last but not least, Austin, you are Jehovah Tep. Uh, think Ned Flanders accent. Okay. Cool. <laughs> okay. And I'm Dennis DeYoung. I am too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good night, everyone. Catch you at work tomorrow. Anthony enters his apartment. He fixes himself an absinthe and tosses back his medication. Tonight will be the night. Anthony enters the astral plane. Is this real? Virgil appears behind Anthony in the ink black space. Very much so, sir. Why have you come? I'm ready. Where is he? And who might you mean? The dog. Ah, Jehovatep. You must find sticks. Where? North. Until you see it. Thanks, pal. Anthony departs. Sticks. Music blares as the band Sticks emerges from the inky black. This will be the end day for the wanted man. Sticks, assist me on my quest. For our help. You must run an errand. What is required of me? We need you to visit the store. Serb are us. Due north from here, down the wyvern steps. Fetch us weapons. Anthony departs. An eternity. Serb are us. Welcome, Welcome kind stranger. I require weapons, wretch. Speak plainly. What do you require? I need a Glock. What is it you require such a weapon for? I've come for the dog. You will fail. Guns cannot conquer Jehovah Come, browse our selection. I see. What do you suggest? An assortment of potato chips is all the master desires. Y'all got zap spicy Cajun crawtaters? Indeed. I'll take the entire stock. Throw in the Glock. Anthony leaves Serb R.S., Sticks approaches outside. They hum blue-collar man, long nights, perfectly in tune with each other. Did, Did you, you require the weapons? weapons? The clerk said, a glock will do ya. They also <laughs> recommended <laughs> potato chips. <laughs> How odd! We had assumed such an ancient evil would require more. Firepower. <laughs> if it was on the clerk's recommendation, we will be fine. Fly with us. Anthony starts to levitate and pivots forward. The party is now horizontal and rising. They float forward, arms outreached. The band sticks begins to hum the chorus of Mr. Roboto, much to Anthony's disdain. They fly forward. Then they pass through a glass wall into an infinite room of black with green lines passing infinitely forward. An ancient entity in the shape of a purple dachshund spins slowly in the middle of the room. 
the wretched beast, the ancient evil. The jig is up, Jehovah-Tep. The news is out, dog. Stick signals for the gun. The jig is up. Anthony fires upon the band's sticks. <gasps> Traitor. Sticks dies. Jehovah-Tep stops spinning. Boy, thanks, buddy. That evil band has been hunting me for years. I never thought I would spin in peace again. Always so worried they would come and try to perform Renegade. Mm. Say, are those Zap Spicy Cajun Crotators? They sure are, buddy. Come on over, old friend. The two kiss passionately as the camera pans out. That's <laughs> <laughs> wow. a tale as old as time. I, I, I just, I just, Blake, the title of this sketch is Ancient Evil Walks the Realm of Jehovah Tep. <laughs> this is a fever dream. I liked Anthony's journey a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Maybe. I, I do have. So I, I think the one thing is like, so a sketch as chaotic as this, like, and it is beautifully chaotic. Like, I will say, like, it is the right kind of chaotic. Um, uh, it, it might. So the. You, I don't know, like, because I want to know, and we're going to send out a survey, okay? Because I want to know if the people at home uh, understood the, the dichotomy between all of Cerberus's head speaking and Styx all speaking in unison. Oh, that's a good point. Right? Mm, yeah. Um, and I know that it was different people talking, mm-hmm. but I wonder if there's a way that, like, as we progress at this specific medium that we can be... We can make it to where it's like even more clear. Than in editing, we characters. can. Yeah, I yeah, was gonna yeah, say yeah. for like yeah. the sticks speaking in unison, we could add some reverb or yeah, some shit like that. Like or we could in the background. Yeah, we could also have them like sing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we should have done that. I should have. I should have written that. S- yeah. Stupid of me. <laughs> so that's the one. That's my critique. Is that we could just do it. the like the sticks, but like super sharp, like <laughs> sounding oh. like a half step, like a half step <laughs> up or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, I thought it was cool. I love the soup. My favorite line was, the jig is up. Yeah, the news <laughs> is yeah, out. Then, yeah. Yeah. I have yeah. a small formality note because Uh-oh. our Uh-oh. audience might get a little bit lost. Um, I would say at each new scene, um, write maybe a slug line or say where exactly Anthony is. Oh, um, yeah. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I, like that, I like think that. that that's just like a formatting thing, though. It's, never, it's not something you change with like your yeah. writing. That's just a... It's just a small. Okay, he's here now. Oh, yeah. he's back in the Styx's lair. Okay, this and even then, then you can create more comedy of what this astral plane is, and you just have weird shit in the background or Tonight's anything. But that's like the only way you can add, I think. All right, that's that's uh, that's all we got time for today. We got our five sketches. Um, I think any, anyone else got anything they want to talk about, or we just want to wrap it up. Wrap it up mm-hmm. like a Christmas present, dude. Wrap it up like a Christmas present. Okay, this is us at Andrew Junior's writer's room. Inserting the post credits now. The Danger Junior Writer's Room is a Danger Junior production. Comstock produced by Austin Zessen, Logan Baggerly, Megan Castleberry, Jimmy D, and Blake Brown. Comstock engineering by Jim D and Blake Brown. Comstock edited by Austin Zessen. Comstock theme song by Blake Brown, Jimmy D, and Logan Baggerly. Comstock. Make sure to follow this show and all Danger Junior Productions at DangerJRPR on Twitter and Instagram. That's Danger Junior Productions spelled DangerJRPR on Twitter and Instagram. Come sock. All right, she dead now. Bye-bye.